Hello and welcome to Blast in the Past. This is the podcast which looks at the ways people have changed things in history in however small or astronomical a way. Each week we chat about a different figure or group in the past, how history might have been different without them and how they'd fit into the modern day. Yay! And that voice tells you, guess who's back on the scene? It's only my favourite company, Billy Break. Billy, how have you been? Not had you here for weeks, mate. Yeah, I've had exams and kind of bits and bobs. I've got a blocked nose now, but, you know, I'm happy to be back. And with one of my favourite guests, of course, Mr. Dan Haygarth. Sorry, Dan. Anna, I have your toes there, but I've been out for a few weeks, and I like introducing Dan. Very kind of you. Thank you for having <laughs> me back. It's nice to be here once again. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Good Good Who are we speaking about today, Dan? We are, we are speaking about David Bowie, one of the most influential musicians of all time, who was um, born as David Jones in London in January 1947 and died in 2016 at the age of 69. But in that time, had a, an incredible music career full of hit songs that people will recognise, Life, Life on Mars, Rebel Rebel, Ashes to Ashes. Also had a very distinguished acting career, appearing in films like Prestige and Labyrinth. And I think he's probably one of the most influential figures in 20th century pop culture. So it's a, he's an interesting one to be looking at on this podcast, I have to say. Have, have either of you guys seen any of the films? He's, I haven't seen any of the films he's been in. I've seen and, Prestige no, um, and The Last Temptation of Christ. How are his acting skills? Should he be the He's next? very good. As musicians turned actors come. I think he's yeah. he's in the higher echelons of them. I him, him or Justin Timberlake, who's oh. a better musician than that? JP, I love I, that man. I, you know, <laughs> it's a tough one. I mean, the prestige or about time might be one of the age-old, which is the best. Um, oh, you know, I'd have him up quite high. Chuck Ice Cube in there as well in terms of acting ability. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, Dan, yeah, I, after we had you on last time about... Um, on Tupac, I went and listened to loads of Ice Cube because you were on about him the whole time. And I'll tell you what, I'm a big fat fan. Well, did you go watch Are You There Yet? Did I what? <laughs> Have you seen the film? <laughs> did you go watch the film Are We There Yet? That's his. That's a film he's in. Okay, no, I didn't. Yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a film. Yeah. <laughs> um. I well, that's just a great thing about Tupac. He's sort of like that gateway into West Coast hip hop, of course, which Ice Cube is a is a great figure on, but. That, that's we, we could at risk of getting hugely sidetracked here. So, shall, am I kicking us off on Bowie then? On what I think he was most important for? Yes, tell us, Dan. What is the impact that you wanted to talk about? Dan, when thinking about David Bowie, I'm being quite predictable here, and I am looking at um, Bowie's influence on popular music, the sound of what we see as popular music, and sort of how this spanned. Um, a number of genres and basically the creativity that David Bowie influenced. Um, because I think there are very few people in sort of 20th century music who encouraged the idea of sort of creative freedom and unconventional music and breaking away from societal norms. I just think Bowie sums that up in one of the, the great, great sort of innovators in music. You know, he, he referred to making music as breaking away from a sort of suburban curse, he called it, which I quite like as an idea that almost whatever life was meant for him as a boy born in suburban London, he wasn't really going to accept and he was going to break away and do something a bit different. And you just see that in his music. You know, it's as diverse as it gets. You've got great rock songs like Suffragette City and Rebel Rebel, which I think are sort of top tier rock music as, it, as sort of just generic, not generic, but general rock music gets. 
But then you've got the electric dance music of Let's Dance and then his Berlin trilogy of albums recorded in the late 70s. Songs like Art Decade and A New mm. Career in Town to have a beautiful electronic sound to them. And then just music like Moon Age Daydream, which might be my favourite song of his, which just has such a weird all-over-the-place style to it. And it's just, not only was his music as he was recording it so it's just diverse in terms of content, you know, it's sort of genre, um, going between genres, but also the music he inspired. He's inspired and improved and influenced musicians across so many genres. You know, you even look at how he's been sampled. Jay-Z sampled his track Fame, which is a brilliant hip-hop sample. The Chemical Brothers have sampled him. Tribe Called Quest sampled Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side, which Bowie produced. And Walk on the Wild Side, yeah. one of the great sort of Lou Reed tracks. And you just, if you want to talk about artistic legacy, you look at the sort of musicians who've used Bowie's music, who have been moved by Bowie's music. You look at the tributes to him when he died, people like Kanye West, Madonna, Arcade Fire, all speaking about how Bowie was the catalyst for them. And I think you just look at that, you look at his catalogue of music, and you just think very few people have influenced popular music as we know it, like David Bowie has, I'd say. Hmm. Who do you think? So, um, who do you think his influences were in that yeah. sense? Because obviously, or do you think that this was just kind of a random, spontaneous combustion inside David Bowie himself that he came to think of himself as um, hmm. needing to lead the way in that sense, or did he have really, really clear influences? I think I think the influences question is is quite an interesting one because from what I've looked up, you know, his taste in music growing up and when he was developing his own interest in music is pretty diverse. He looks at the pretty early rhythm and blues rock and roll artists but then you'll have 50s 60s rock and roll as well and it's just sort of um i guess i guess he sort of came of age as popular music and youth culture was beginning to hit the mainstream you know sort of the 50s and 60s but when he will have developed who he wanted to be by the end of the 60s he was recording studio music so part of it obviously i think with anyone that talented is god-given talent and he clearly was blessed with just this diverse approach to creating art but then he actually probably grew up in a great time because you're never going to get more of an inspiring time to sort of do something a bit different with your art than than what the 50s and 60s were I guess. True it's also crazy when you think that um he was so young the bit that I have looked at for his impact was about how he bent kind of that I'll speak about later but about kind of gender norms and stuff and that obviously was sparked in the early 70s with Ziggy Stardust but I then obviously was like oh I wonder how old he was because he looked so so young in these videos and he was only 25 when that came out right like when was he born 60 no sorry not born in 47 47 right so imagine being a 25 that's my age like that's how old I am imagine being so young and already having such a crazy confidence and like understanding of your own position in the world as just breaking down as you're saying Dan breaking down these norms breaking down boundaries for what's normal for an artist for a musician and just going on the stage and smashing it in that way it's so incredible it's crazy I think that's yeah such an interesting thing I mean I think if you look at most of the musicians you've covered on this podcast you know the Beatles were ludicrously young when they started recording music Tupac Tupac, you know, died far too young and most of his recording career took place when he was around our age. You mm. know, it's just sort of... Yeah, true. There's something something so impressive about what people achieve in their 20s that is mm. really quite terrifying. But, yeah, for me, with Bowie, it's just the ability to 
I, I just I don't think there's yes, ever I, been anyone who's almost rejected boring more than him but you know like rejected convention he wasn't going to do that you have the music that i called earlier generic rock it's not generic it's brilliant rock but he could go from what we would see as regular rock music to glam rock to salt whatever the soul sort of music he was working on there's electronic music dance music it's just total expression total and pure expression that i just love about him really have you got um so kind of obviously you're thinking about and you're talking about his impact on musicians today is there a band or an artist that you'd want to be like guys check this guy out or check this guy out check this band out the link between them and bowie is ridiculous and they would not exist without him that's quite a tough one i mean you can click you can clearly hear it in the sound of arcade fire that that sort of electronic stuff that they did especially a few years ago yeah. it was interesting seeing um some tributes from kanye west because before kanye west mm. went went wrong you can really yeah. see that in him that his sort of first 10 years of recording artist he's sort of quite your regulation hip-hop and going into really electronic hip-hop almost doing for african-american music what bowie had done for british music so hmm. i don't i don't know it's quite difficult to find an almost a direct descendant of but i think the remarkable thing is how many people sample him how many people cite him as an influence yeah well i think this is one of those things that we kind of we kind of had it with the Beatles as well. We we're trying to talk about bands that had been similar to them, gone on to do what they had sort of done. And I don't think because of, like Dan, you were saying, the cross-genre ability of David Bowie, I don't, that's why no one's really... It's hard to pin out someone who's his, yeah. the air to his his throat because he, he touches so many different things that there are so many people with, with or bands with a valid reason to say, yeah. it's it's me. You know, and the you know, Arcade Fire, the Kanye <laughs> West, that's just so... Huge. such a chasm of music yeah and, and the fact you can hear it in both of their music is testament to just how Bowie wasn't going to be constrained by any style and you know all power to that hmm. are either of you guys musicians no god no no but my younger brother and one of my older brothers is they're both very good at music and i'm i'm terrible if you were musicians do you think you'd want to be the kind of musician like bowie and like his modern day <sighs> kind of worshippers like breaking boundaries and trying to do something completely different or do you think you'd just be like the old you know you know I'd like to think I really I really like to think that I would push boundaries and you know explore new musical frontiers <laughs> but then I look at the music I listen to and it's like just all the stuff my dad listened to. It's like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, Jimi yeah. Hendrix, which is amazing stuff. But I'm just going to be another, you know, kind of misunderstood white artist. <laughs> I don't think I'd have much to add to the new musical landscape, although as much as I'd like to think I would. Billy, concerningly, your face has actually gone a bit green. Are you okay? I think it's the lighting in the room. <laughs> you know what well, I mean, Dan? He looks yeah, well, no no one's pale. looking their most healthy during lockdown, are they? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that one. If you come out of this and you've done, like, wonders for you, I'll be very impressed with you. I'll be quite right. Um, fantastic. Very interesting. Was there, Dan, was there, like, is that is that kind of an opinion you've always thought about David Bowie, or is that just something that you've started thinking about more since you since we said we were going to do him on this podcast? Or have you always thought? Yeah, um, it's always struck me, I think, because even if you're listening to, say, like a Sounds of the 70s Spotify playlist, um, 
you'll hear a few mm. Bowie songs, and each one will be completely different. So even if you're you're not going to him through his albums, you hear that just by you know even listen to his hits. If you have you, you know Life on Mars compared with um, compared with mm. Let's Dance compared with Ashes to Ashes, they're all completely different. And it's something that's always struck me because I do listen to quite a number of genres of music and I don't particularly focus on one and that's why he's such a great artist it's almost it's even within albums you'll hear different sounds so it's always struck me that he is so talented to to do what he did yeah uh you've spoken about it like uh, all all the hits and I think I'm gonna forget this if I don't say it now but I've highlighted it in my notes as well have you guys ever listened to a song the laughing note no mm-hmm. okay like it is probably one of the. It is might be one of the worst songs that takes itself seriously I've ever heard in my life. Because that was like, that was one of his first releases. I'm pretty. I think Dan, you might be able to. I don't know if you know, but I'm pretty um, sure. It will be early on. Yeah, I think. Anyways, it is genuinely like the laughing gnome. It is one of the worst <laughs> songs I've ever heard in my entire is life. Is it a, band? It's a like, gnome that laughs, or is that? I don't know. I got, I got like a minute in, and I could. I just. I don't even think I finished it. It's like Rebecca Black Friday level oh, bad. I God, think. God no! Although that poor girl got so many death threats, you know, after that, which is quite tragic. She had another song called Prom Night, and the song went Prom Night, Prom Night. Gotta get down on Prom Night. I know what I'm doing for five minutes after this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely tragic. Um, well, I might hop in and dance place there because I'm going to speak a bit about musician's identity and kind of glam rock which kind of touches on nicely Dan but what you were saying about transcending boundaries within music so one of yeah so one of the big things that I think like you were saying is reinventing himself to apply himself to different forms of music and one of the really interesting things he did that was obviously through these all these personas we've come to know we all know who Ziggy Stardust is and we all know who Aladdin Sane is the one with the lightning bolt and then <clears throat> so I've got a bit of a cold so my nose is a bit blocked because I can't breathe at the same time. I'm watching you uh, <laughs> wipe your nose with a kitchen towel. No, it's my hanky. Oh. I was using a tissue, but this was more sustainable. Oh, little hanky. So here we are. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, so Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin same with the lightning bolt. But then there's also the the White Duke, which he really, which was part of the um the man who fell from Mars. It was like that's the character. And he adopted that for a brief time, which wasn't very popular. And then it, for the last album, the Black Star had a prophet. He had a persona called the Prophet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the music video for Lazarus. No. Yeah. It's really weird. He's got bandages over his eyes, and he's got these things here he can't see, and he's really hopeless. And the first line I think is, is "I'm in heaven now," which is and obviously Black Star was released a few days before his death, so it's quite a weird, quite an eerie sync up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that ability to reinvent himself through these characters and personas is part and parcel of what made his musical redefinition so so possible. Yeah. Because he was finding an outlet through all these things. Yeah. I read... Uh, can I... Sorry, Bill, can I just interject? I read somewhere that he said up until his stuff started getting spread out, the attitude in the music industry was what you see is what you get. And he said, um, it seemed interesting to try to devise something completely different, like a musical where the artist on stage plays a part, which seems really crazy that that wasn't thought in that way before, because we're so used to that now. Like, do you remember a few, I remember being really conscious of a few years back when suddenly music videos all became eight to 20 minutes long, because there was this whole like, 
narrative built around the music video oh. and then like Lady Gaga goes crazy on this and Beyonce and all of these guys start building up this whole entire kind of stage persona yeah. alter ego so it seems crazy now considering we're so used to that 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 wasn't such a thing back then it's weird when you think about how big music videos are used to be really because now like if a new song comes out on Spotify I don't immediately like I don't really watch the music but I don't know maybe you guys are different but like I don't really watch music videos that often no. if ever but obviously if you, you know they're such a powerful form of expression for so many artists, you know, it's like you think of like Thriller and everything and things mm. like that. But now they've kind of faded out that medium, mm. uh, which is pretty odd. But yeah, so this, uh, so the change of personas and the ability to hop between genres is just such an incredible part of his being. But I think all of that also fed into glam rock, which Dan, I think you, you briefly touched on. And glam rock is this really unique British thing, which I didn't realise it was that uniquely British until I was doing research for this. Oh, I didn't know that either. And there was a Guardian journalist who said that the States got the afterwind of Bo- of Bowie's glam rock, uh, which is pretty cool to think about because there's not many things that you think of like musical phenoms as being uniquely British, you know, mm-hmm. like there's Britpop and things like that. But really within Britain, you know, especially glam rock, which had such a wide-ranging effect. So there's, there are loads of artists who adopted glam rock, like Elton John and Freddie Mercury. Sorry, can I, what, what, are we, what are we talking about when we say glam rock? So glam rock, and this is what Bowie described it as himself. Looking awesome. Or yeah, so it's kind of like the theatrical elements of dressing up and putting yourself out there and the performative nature, tying it to rock right. and making that one big thing. So it's kind of like the Ziggy Stardust. Like kids are a really good example. You have to mention it because they're one of my favorite bands. Who, sorry? You know, Kiss. Oh, Kiss, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, makeup and Gene Simmons sticks his tongue out that whole weird, those weird guys. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they are, they're fantastic, right? They're a great rock band, but they're a really good example of like American glam rock that are kind of faded away from David Bowie. So they're not two distinct things. But so I think the ability to create a sub genre almost entirely by yourself is mm-hmm. just, is unheard of really big thing even the Beatles it's not really Beatles rock yeah there's not really something you you know I wouldn't say there's a particular subgenre of Beatles music so the same- well no because they like went from pop rock into psychedelic rock but yeah. everything they did there was already a, yeah you're right a broader genre for yeah you know? um, but yeah so was so with all of his alter egos and all the different kinds of genres of music that he trod between did he make a clear connection between one particular alter ego and then only playing in a certain genre for that alter ego? Or was there was it even more mishmash than that? I think it seems to be they kind of all... Well, they were all set for certain albums. Mm-hmm, yeah. Ziggy Stardust, obviously, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Yeah. And they were all... I think a lot of them were based on people. So mm. Aladdin Sane, the, the alter ego with the lightning bolt. Yeah, I love that one. That's based on his uh, brother, Terry, who was a schizophrenic. Oh, wow. Who died. And so Aladdin Sane is, is a lad insane. Ah, oh, wow. That, that's kind of a link up. So I think they were all based on his experiences, but I don't know if they were tied specifically to a genre yeah. as much as they were to certain songs. So that makes sense. His um, Ziggy Stardust one, he said he based that on this guy that he met in the 60s who was... Uh, a kind of a failed American rock star. His name was Vince Taylor. 
You guys heard of him? No. No. So apparently he tried to be a rock star in America in the 60s or maybe even earlier, but completely failed. So then he went over to France and he had a bit of success doing Elvis impressions, but apparently he was completely bonkers. So he used to carry around maps of Europe and just would whack them out and then lay them on the floor and then bring out a magnifying glass and would look really closely at, like, for example, streets in London and then point to David Bowie where the UFOs were going to land. Um, and he was, like, obsessed with Jesus Christ and aliens and stuff, and he was just totally, totally bonkers. But apparently that's... Obviously there were various other influences which all melded together yeah. into this big old melt. But apparently he, David Bowie, said later on in his life was a major influence for Ziggy Stardust. Which is, which is weird because it's kind of like Vince Taylor was a failed rock star but still had this massive influence on rock. So yeah. that's kind of nice as well, I suppose. Yeah, that's a really nice way of thinking about it. It's your funny silver linings wherever you can, I suppose. Lovely. <laughs> Great. Reshaping the musician's identity. Hmm. Wait, okay, so Bill, do you think there was anyone, aside from David Bowie, who had done that before in any way that was comparable? Um. I think in terms of wanting to mix things up, like go, like going across dramas, we've spoken about the Beatles because they're a really good example. I think Led Zeppelin do a similar thing. Uh, I think a lot of blues artists do that as well. Like Muddy Waters is quite good at doing it because he touches on different things, but not to the same extent and not as widely reaching. Mm. But in terms of in terms of an image, like how they present themselves, I can't think of anyone before or since who's been like that just consistently so normally weird, if that makes sense. That's a bit of an unconventionality yeah. in Prince, isn't that? Or there uh, was. But they're similar yeah, era, aren't true, they, yeah. essentially? Um, and Bowie came first. So, yeah, though, but those two, I think, are relatively similar for that reason. It's just anti-convention. Yeah. It also kind of seems now like when it seems a bit more commercial when you see people do it now. It doesn't seem as genuine uh reaction to wanting to break the mold it just seems look at me i'm different it's not as shocking in a way it's just kind of like you just that's cool you know you're just a famous person being quirky i get it <laughs> it's funny you say that because i've actually often thought about how much more critical i am and how much more cynical i am about the way that celebrities now do things than how i think about for example like yeah Freddie Mercury or whatever. I'm like, God, they were so genuine and they just did what they wanted to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Real, authentic personality. But probably that's complete bullshit and that's just a bizarre way that we look at history and we think of now as yeah. much less authentic than the way that we think about 20, 30 years ago. No, I, th I think that makes a lot... I mean, because of how they're held, you're just going to view them as angelic. Kind of, they're not going to do anything bad. So I think... Yeah. I should take with a pinch of salt. But yeah. That's cynic in me. But that's um, all I have to say, Anna. Take it up to you. <laughs> <laughs> You're coughing and snuffing your yeah. way through this lockdown episode. Yeah. At least I can still smell and taste, so that's good. Oh, oh goodbye, that's COVID. Good. Well, Mr. Daniel Hagarth, it's very interesting that you mentioned Prince there because that make, makes a nice little bridge connection to what I was going to talk about. Um, I wanted to mention Prince as an example of someone that he'd had a really big influence on uh, regarding gender and bending gender norms. And I mean, it's, it's all we're all kind of speaking about the same thing, really, like breaking boundaries, but different facets of that umbrella thing, right? But I just found his the specifics of his 
gender expression really 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 fascinating and so cool and makes him a really fit pop star like you look at his videos of his yeah. there's one what's it called uh something boys boys ah oh, boys keep swimming swinging there's a video music video of his song boys keep swinging and he comes out and it's all about um i mean the words in it are awesome they're you know when you're a boy other boys check you out when you're a boy you get a girl all these kinds of things and then halfway through the video it completely switches and he starts he takes off a wig and he starts dressing as different types of women and he's doing like this sexy catwalk and i'm just watching him like this is incredible you don't have pop stars now this so yeah you've got the when thinking about how he bent gender norms and what he did for uh his contemporary community of queer people but also queer and lgbt people since his sexuality is a really obvious one he was openly gay and then he came out as bi and then apparently later on in his life he came out as a closet heterosexual so his sexuality was clearly super fluid and didn't really seem to bother him that much what he identified as um i didn't even know closet heterosexual <laughs> was a thing i'd never heard that before. i think probably the point is that it's not really yeah. <laughs> it's just an interesting pairing of words it's not really something you ever think about pairing so it's, it's funny isn't it so yeah that's kind of the obvious one but then as i mentioned the the more the one that i found way more interesting was his uh his onstage persona and how he just completely kind of did in with the way that a lot of male pop stars and just men generally seem to present themselves and seem to think that they had to present themselves. So the obvious one is, as you mentioned before, and as we spoke about before, Billy, um, Ziggy Stardust. So his album, 1972, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Yes, Billy, question. Well, it's more of just a, a fun fact that I might only find fun. But during isolation, I did like for two weeks, I did these two pub quizzes. And both of them, there were like five teams and no one could get the album right for the, the whole title right for that album, except one guy, one person. Very good. People know the rise and fall dust part or the rise and fall or the spiders from Mars. But no, not the Anyways. Wait, spiders from Mars, right? Yeah, is that what I said? Yeah, no, I thought I thought it said stardust. I was like, I think I did, and I kind of moved past it. So <laughs> that's kind of awkward, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ziggy Stardust, two album. Obviously, I mean, do you guys know? I mean, I'm sure you do because you seem to be big fat Owie fans. But what was like? What was the? Who was the Ziggy Stardust? What was his whole deal? Do you know who he was meant to be? Dan, I don't know. I don't know. See, the idea is me that he fell to earth and is almost a ambassador to earth from <laughs> other beings, otherworldly beings. Um, yeah. there to almost teach Earth how to do things a bit unconventionally. Yeah, literally. I mean, that could be taken word for word from the interweb. Um, he's literally meant to be uh, this kind of medium intermediary for aliens, extraterrestrial life. Oh, Billy's just got a oh, casual housemate coming in there. My brother. Don't come in, little bro. I'm being called cool. I'm recording my podcast. Yeah, so the whole point is that he was meant to be this kind of really sexy, androgynous, bisexual rock star who was the messenger on earth for aliens casually, which is just such a bizarre idea. But he, he just kind of didn't really have totally non-conforming to any kind of gender boundaries if you look at him he's got um really really kind of manufactured 
eyebrows and got so much makeup on and his hair is all askew and he looks amazing um what so what I found and why what I found really interesting and why I asked you before Billy you know do you think he had any were there any kind of precursors to what you were talking about in terms of shaping the musician's identity is that when we're thinking about gender he wasn't the first person to break these gender boundaries and kind of adhere to gender non-conformity like he didn't pioneer that thought he didn't come up with that concept at all. You got people like Marlene Dietrich in the 30s in Berlin who was doing amazing stuff uh, in kind of cabaret form, like really shocking Berlin audiences, dressing up in men's clothes and stuff. Um, and obviously Catherine Hepburn and people like that. Um, but what was really about Bowie and what was cool about how he did it is that he kind of acted as the bridge between then and now so he he really dragged the idea of gender non-conformity through to the late 20th century and he popularized it massively in a way that no one really had done before so you just think you know would people now like Lady Gaga who has her alter ego Joe jo Calderon have you guys ever seen her perform as Joe Calderon can't say I have no yeah. it's so she's so fit as jo- I mean, Lady Gaga is fit anyway, but Joe Calderon is so fit. She's she's amazing. There's this incredible performance where she performed at, I can't even remember, some like music awards a few years ago. And she comes on stage as Joe Calderon and her alter ego is, like Joe Calderon is meant to be Lady Gaga's boyfriend. So she comes on, she's got a fan, she's wearing this, um, she's wearing this suit and she just starts bitching about Lady Gaga and saying oh my god who is she she's crazy she's absolutely crazy and then he talks about like when they go up to bed and like they're about to have sex she goes into the bathroom and she's like she goes in the bathroom she's got her heels on i i hear her going in the shower i hear water running and then she comes out dripping wet she's still got the heels on and like there's a whole and what's really funny is that in the in the audience it, the camera pans around and you've got like Katy Perry there with her bright pink hair, and she sat next to Russell Brand since when they were still married, and then Britney Spears, and they're all like prim women adhering to the beautiful like sexy women pop star thing, and they're looking so confused because I think that was the first time she came out with her alter ego Joe Calderon. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a massive tangent. Basically, an alter ego I think is awesome, and I just think would people like that now exist? Would that even be a thing without without David Bowie? So now the impact of that is really, really cool. And and what that's done for art and queer expression now is awesome. And then back in the 70s and 80s when he was active, you know, there was a quote, I read an article with um, Grayson Perry who said, we now can't even begin to comprehend how different things were back then. I mean, understanding of queer, the queer community has progressed so much just in the last five years, let alone in the last 40 the Grace and Perry was like, you know, we can't even begin to imagine what it was like in the 1970s. And I've got a quote here. He said, um, he said, it felt like Bowie. So at a time when I was just starting to uh, experiment with dressing up and cross-dressing. So obviously Grace and Perry's an artist and a, and a really well-known cross-dresser and does amazing stuff. And he said, so at this time when I was just starting to experiment with this, it felt like Bowie gave me and a whole generation of kids permission to explore that box. So it's just like, you know, not just for art's sake, opened up a whole new level to art 
an artistic expression but also in a social sense like what what has that done for lgbt plus rights and understanding now like i really do think things would be so far behind if we didn't have people like that well yeah i think that point about expression sums it up really is it, it isn't just through art it's through identity and image um personality that that i think is so maybe unique but certainly awe-inspiring about ballet that be it through be it through what you create be it through how you communicate, be it through how you dress, be it through how you want to present yourself to the world. David Bowie championed this, don't conform. Be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. Don't, just don't be boring. Be you. The power of that is almost unquantifiable and the amount of people that will impact because you can, we can look at which artists it's inspired to create music in a certain way, create literature, whatever, You've almost got to look at what this has meant for the mm. millions of normal people touched by his music, by his image, by him as a person that just think, wow, I've, I've never felt normal. David Bowie doesn't feel normal. It's all right for me not to feel normal. I'm going to express myself the way I want to express myself. And I think that as an impact for what you leave yeah. behind is extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, I think that's such a nice common theme with so many of the people we've discussed is that ability to give a voice to people who don't necessarily even know what the voice they need is. They don't know what they're looking for for guidance. That's, that's yeah. probably part of the issue. And so many of the people like that, like you so mm. eloquently put, like David Bowie, fill that role of being someone that changed perceptions for every single person that, they, that meets them. Yeah, exactly. Also, what I've actually found really interesting, what I have to admit is, and Dan, you might be a bit shocked at this probably because you're such a film and music buff, but I really, I think I tend to really overlook the power of popular culture, films and music in ability to change things. I think I really don't actually take that very seriously. Like, I don't really watch films. I don't really, I'm not educated about films really. I'm not educated about the history of music or anything about that. David Bowie, maybe a bit more, just because he's so, well, relatively, uh, compared to my knowledge of, for example, the Beatles. But yeah, I just, I've really been struck by that today, I think, actually, just reading up on this, because I think I really need to stop overlooking the power of popular culture, basically. Like that, you can quantify the the impact on the world. Yeah, because be it conventional or otherwise, you know, you've got you've got masses of people in Britain who dress a certain way, have their hair a certain way because of the jam and Oasis and groups like that. Whether it's chart music or you know, popular music or not really, I, yeah. But music and film is a lot more... People see things, don't they, in the public eye and they think, I want to be like that. Yeah. Or that's how I feel, I want to look, that's how... Yeah. I, 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 the difference between blokes in the northwest of England having a hair, their hair a certain way wearing Adidas trainers because Noel Gallagher does it, is a bit different to people who feel voiceless mm. uh, being championed by David Bowie. Yeah. But, yeah, it certainly speaks to the power of culture either way. Yeah. yeah, very good distinction. And what about DB David Bowie in 2020? DB? Sorry, what? <laughs> Bowie. How do we think David Bowie would fit into 2020? Oh, DB. To be fair, he didn't only die four years ago. He died in 2016, right? So yeah, I just, I just, I mean, I think if he was still alive, he'd probably still be releasing music. I think he'd still be influencing people. I think he'd still be making statements. I think he'd still be just David Bowie. Perhaps yeah. potentially less shocking. Although, was he shocking? He was shocking at his at the time. He was shocking, wasn't he? He wasn't. People didn't just accept it, and they were like, "Cool, look at this dude doing his cool thing." They were. Pretty outraged, I'm sure. Yeah, like, well, I'm doing his thing. 
and then it became this cool thing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you guys ever have this in a fact? For some reason, me and my brothers always go booey. I don't know if that's a thing that you guys do as well. No. But we all call him David Booey. I don't know why. I don't know why I said that. It's just a nice little family thing at the end of the podcast. <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm all excited about David Bowie now. I'm actually going to go and um, I'm going to go and blast him out in the kitchen really loudly whilst I'm cooking. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth looking at. One of the things that always amazed me about Bowie is there's like a five-minute interview clip of him talking to Jeremy Paxman about the internet in 1999. And he basically says that the internet is about is, is, is about to change human society as we know it. We are soon going to be able to touch all the knowledge we have ever had as a society, blah blah blah. And it's worth it's worth watching for people listening to this because it blow it blows my mind. It's just almost testament to the sort of visionary he is. But he understood he, he had this understanding seemingly before other people of what the internet was about to do to the world. So mm. yeah, he almost he was twenty first century before the twenty first century happened. And I think that's what David Bowie would be in the modern day. The modern popular culture is partly how it is because of him. And there aren't many people you can sort of truthfully say that about. Well, Dan, thank you so, so much again for coming on. My pleasure. I feel like when we have you on, I have a walking, talking encyclopedia. (laughs) Well, I try my best. Um, it's just been a convenient yeah. string of people for me to talk about, talk about, to be honest. It's not like they've been chosen for you to talk about at all. It's been a random lottery of people. We like to choose people that we think our guests will enjoy talking about as well, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Makes a difference. Billy, how's your first episode gone since coming back to BFTP? It's good. It's always nice to just talk about something you find interesting for a while. Hopefully next time my nose will be less blocked and I won't be disturbed by my brother. <laughs> no, it's been good to be back and I look forward to many more. <laughs> what makes this podcast so exciting for listeners to listen to? That that rugged, authentic, unpolished feel. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who has listened to the episode. Keep going back to our previous episodes. Our listener numbers are going up, which is making me and my co-host Billy very, very excited. But we want more um please and if you have any comments or suggestions for upcoming episodes you can write to us at bf or complaints or complaints <laughs> please don't have any complaints but if you do that's fine I suppose if you have anything anything at all that billy has said during this episode don't hesitate i'll have a chat on the united states once in this episode and that's been really good you've actually done very well um you can find us at bftp pod or bftp pod at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you Uh, But we'll see you next week. And goodbye and I love you.